Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. You can follow me on the screen. Hopefully you will. Verses 1 to 11. The Lord said to Moses, get going. You and the people who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Go up to the land I swore to you to give. Verse 2, this is the New Living Translation. I will send you an angel. I'll send an angel before you to drive out the Jebusites. Say Jebusites. Okay, verse 3. Go up to this land that flows with milk and honey, but I will not travel with among you, for you are a stubborn and rebellious people. Verse 4. When the people heard these stern words, they went into mourning and stopped wearing their jewelry and fine clothes. Verse 5. For the Lord had told Moses to tell them, you are a stubborn and rebellious people. Remove your jewelry. Turn your name and say, he's not talking to me right now. Uh, and find clothes while I decide what to do with you. Let, let's keep it rolling till I get to the 11th verse. Uh, verse 6. Oh, verse 7. Thank you. Uh, it was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting, and the King James Version is called a tabernacle, and set it up among, some distance from the camp. Everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tabernacle outside of the camp. Verse 8, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tabernacle, again, the, King, the New Living Translation calls it the tent of meeting. The King James Version calls it the tabernacle. As, they went, as Moses went into the tabernacle, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tabernacle, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tabernacle, that is the tent of the meeting of the Lord, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterwards, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tabernacle. Uh, 
I want to speak to you on the subject, a place to meet God. A place to meet God, a place to meet the Lord. When you look at this text, um, Israel just comes off of a very tragic uh, scene in chapter 32, and we'll refer to that a little bit later. But you see the text where, um, where God is upset to the point that he says, I'm not going to travel with you at all because you know, you, you're, just, you're just getting on my last nerve. And, but he still keeps his promise. He still keeps his promise. He says to them, I'm going to drive out the Jebusites for you. I'm going to go ahead of you to drive out your enemy, the Jebusites. And the one thing I want to get across to us is that we all have Jebusites in our lives that we need the Lord to get out of our lives. The word uh, Jebusite or Jebus, it, it, it's a Hebrew word that means to trod or to trample underfoot. And so what happens is that uh, you have a promise, but the enemy has a foothold in your promise. And God, need, you need supernatural assistance to drive out the enemy from that which belongs to you. Are you with me so far? Uh, they, they, Israel is always battling the Jebusites. As a matter of fact, Joshua, when he went to try to take over the promised land, he drove out a lot of the enemy, but somehow he could not drive out the Jebusites. Fast forward about, I guess, a thousand years or so, it took a new man and a new strategy to drive out the Jebusites. For the Jebusites, get this now, the Jebusites controlled Jerusalem. And so David, when he is finally made king of the entire nation of Israel, meaning Judah and Israel, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, the Bible says he goes up to Jerusalem to drive out the Jebusites. And the Jebusites, and, you, and, and see, the, <laughs> you need to drive the Jebusites out of your Jerusalem. Because the enemy, for those of you who don't know what Jerusalem means, Jerusalem, it means the city of peace. And peace in the Hebrew is not like our peace. Peace in the Hebrew means success. It means favor. It means God's, it means promotion. And you, some of you, are, you're like, why isn't my peace, why isn't my success happening? It's because the Jebusites maybe has a foothold in your Jerusalem. And you got to drive them out. And so the Lord uh, uses David to drive out the Jebusites. Now the Jebusites, they were so cocky that they were being sarcastic and basically said, even the blind and the lame can keep you out of Jerusalem. And right now for some of you, the devil is taunting you. He's in your home taunting you. He's on your job taunting you. 
and he's telling you, I dare you to get me out of here. But the Bible says David ended up driving the Jebusites out of Jerusalem. And my point is, David, if nothing else, he is, watch this, he is a worship warrior. See, some of you need to praise God with bad intentions. There's sometimes when you know, well, hallelujah, let the glory fall. Here I am to worship. Here I am to fall. But sometimes you need to, our God is an awesome God. I mean, you need to praise God with bad intentions. Letting the devil know you can't stay up in here. It takes a worshiper to drive out the Jebusites. Now the Bible says that God will send an angel, but I love the scripture. That's one of my favorite, uh, uh, one of my favorite chapters is 2 Chronicles chapter 20. That's what Regina was, was uh, referring to, where, where God sends a word, says, I'm, you don't need to fight in this battle. The battle is the Lord. It, the battle is not yours. It's the Lord. But you do have some responsibility. You need to praise me. And if you praise me, I, that's my signal to ambush the enemy. Could it be that the enemy has a foothold in your peace because you haven't signaled to them, to the Lord, get your angels moving? It's quiet in here. Let me keep moving. Now, he says to them, I'm traveling with you until you get rid of your jewelry. Why, why is he saying, get rid of your jewelry? Because the chapter before that, Moses was taken too long in the presence of God, bringing down the Ten Commandments to keep people out of trouble. And so the people come up to Aaron. Uh, I, I keep using you for bad examples. So. <laughs> they come up to Aaron, don't take it personally, and they say, hey, this guy Moses, he's been gone. I don't know what's going on with him. Uh, you, you need to make us a god. And Aaron says, okay, give me your jewelry that you got from Egypt. Gives them the jewelry, and Aaron makes this golden calf, this idol. And he says to the people, tomorrow, let's worship this idol. And the people say, hey, everybody, this idol that we made is the God that brought us out of Egypt. Are you with me? And so what happens is that, you know, the people started partying and, you know, doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And Moses is on the way, and God says, you need, you, you need to go, you need to get out of my presence and get your people. And so he goes down, and you know, some of you who are not familiar with the story, he comes down with the Ten Commandments, and Moses is, is upset, and he says, who's on the Lord's side? And he throws the Ten Commandments and breaks them up, and you know, the, 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 the Levites you know, kill all the people who are worshiping uh, idols. It's just a bad mess. So now they go into the next chapter, and God says, take your jewelry off. Because I'm upset with you. 
because your jewelry is the thing that caused you to make this idol. Now, what, what am I saying? I'm not saying get rid of your jewelry. Uh, I'm, that's not what I'm saying because I spent a lot of money on my wife's jewelry, so she ain't uh, getting rid of that quite yet. Uh, but the point is, is that your jewelry represents that what you idolize. And you, let me give you a definition of idol. A definition, anything, anything that you use to give yourself your identity is an idol. Anything that you allow to identify you is an idol. What does that mean? For example, for some of you, your idol is your career. <laughs> for some of you, your idol is your friends. I'm talking to you children right now. See, everybody knows that when you walk into the cafeteria, there's a, there's a hierarchy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody have eaten the cafeteria? School, oh, just okay, there's three of us. Anybody eat food in the cafeteria? And there's certain tables, right? Okay, all the nerds at one table. Can I get a witness? All the athletes at one table. Mm-hmm, okay. And, and, and all, the, all the fly girls are at one table. Mm-hmm, all the hoods. Are you with me? Some of you are quiet because you are at the hood table, okay? And, and you, you follow me, and and you know, and so everybody's at their table. I remember my my daughter Jessica when she was in uh, middle school. She would say, "Yeah, the, no, she's part of the cool girls, no, whatever that is." But you know who the cool people and who weren't. And some of you knew that you weren't one of the cool people because uh, when you had your twentieth reunion, you came back. Yeah, I'm cool now, so I, I get it. But 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 we use that to identify ourselves. So. So watch this. So if I'm not hanging out with this person, I have no identity. Some of you, those letters after your name is your identity. It's your idol. Some of you, your children are your idol. Anything that you use to identify you. In other words, now that my children, you know, can I, can I borrow you for a minute, sir? Can I borrow you for a minute, sir? Now, how old are you? Eleven. Okay, so he's eleven, and no, he's a minor, and mommy and daddy makes decisions for him. But someday he's gonna not gonna be eleven; he's gonna be twenty-one. And sometimes parents—I'm not saying—okay. And, and and sometimes parents they want to keep their child a little boy. Why? Because what am I going to do? Who am I going to be when he doesn't need me anymore? Mm, I need somebody. I got you. Oh, he wait for his money. Okay. <laughs> That's that. Yeah. Train up a child in the way they should stay. 
holding on to? Because your identity is wrapped up. Come on, sisters. You spending all that money to get your hair did it? <laughs> Putting all those chemicals in there? Why? Because that was your identity. Quiet in here. Let me talk about me. I'm a pastor. And one of the first prophetic words that, oh, it's good to see you, Pastor China. One of the first prophetic words that Pastor Chandler gave me was do not allow this church to become your identity. Because pastors get stressed out when they come in and the seats are empty, the income's not there, and the first thing you're saying is, I must be doing something wrong. I have good news for you. God does not call me bishop. <laughs> he calls me Brian. I'm, I'm just a son. And as long as I stay just a son... I don't have to be tripping every time something goes wrong with the church because it's his church, not mine. This is the point I want to make. Moses is regularly going into the house of the Lord, the tabernacle, and he's meeting with God. And, and I'm going to borrow you again, sir. Okay. Uh, you, you own it. No, 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 no. The first one's one time. So you, you, you get paid on salary. <laughs> Have your dad explain that to you. That means they can work you to death and pay you the same. So, uh, so, uh, did you JBQ yesterday? How'd it go? Okay, good, good, good. So, every time Moses goes into the house, into the tabernacle, the tent, Joshua's with him. And he is in the presence of God. He's in the presence of God. And he leaves, and Joshua follows with him. He goes back into the temple. Tabernacle, rather. He leaves, and Joshua goes with him. He goes back into the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. The tent to meet God. He leaves, and Joshua goes back. The young man leaves with him. He goes into the tabernacle, the tent where he meets God. Moses leaves, no, but Joshua stays. Moses leaves, but Joshua stays. Moses leaves, but the young man, Joshua, stays. Moses leaves but the young man, Joshua, stays. Why does he stay? Because he has observed what meeting with God has done to Moses. And he says, I'm staying here to get what you have. And my point is, thank you, sir. I'll give you two more dollars later. Wait, huh? Woo! Jesus. 
What was I thinking? No. Thank you. I just want to see if he's honest. <laughs> Here's a question. I want this to be a place where people meet God so often that the children say, y'all can go. I'm staying here. Mommy and daddy, you can go. I'm staying here. I want this to be a place. This is what I'm after. I want this to be a place where our children will meet God. Because it's great to have Bible study. It's great to have Sunday school. It's great to have junior Bible quizzes. And all the things we're doing are great. But there is nothing like a child having an encounter with God on their own without their parents. One encounter with God and you won't have to drag your child to church. That's why we must worship. Because we don't know when the encounter will take place. This must be a place, a tabernacle, a tent of meeting where our children, whether they be, three, whether they be 17 months to 17 years, they must meet God in this place, there's, there's a study by a woman who, uh, who uh, went to uh, uh, Fuller Theological Seminary, and she said num one of the number one reasons that millennials are leaving church is because when they go to church, they don't find God there. At the age of 13 which is almost 47 years ago. You do the math, I'm almost 60. I had an encounter with God right here, right in this spot. And you're like, man, you got a good memory. No, I don't have a good memory. When you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, it marks your life forever. And I got filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and, and it transformed me and, and changed my paradigm and shifted my life and, and yes I was saved but I had an encounter with God at 13 that, that changed everything and I was a star athlete, star baseball player, um, and after I had this encounter, about a few weeks later, I was a third baseman, and guy hit a ground ball, and he threw the ball, and, and I was an all-star third baseman, and when I went to catch it, somehow, when the guy reached, reached the base, it slightly hit his shoulder and missed my glove and smashed me right in the face. And I went down and I was screaming and there 
was blood everywhere. And I'm going to call my mom from her job, and she rushed to the field in Somerville. The ambulance came, and you know they put me in the ambulance uh, gurney. And as I'm lying there, I'll tell you what an encounter will do. All of a sudden, this was the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, I started humming, "Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." And if you ask my mother to this day, because after that, every once in a while she would testify about that moment that my son, who's at 13 and no, that's when all the girls and all that stopped happening, but the encounter caused me to say, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. Just to what? Rest upon his promise. Just to know thus saith the Lord. Jesus Jesus, how I trust him. And as the ambulance is taking me off, how I prove him. Not, not how my mother proves him. Not how my uncles and aunts. I have had an encounter for myself. Our children need an encounter for themselves. And we have to create spaces for them 